Lord, we, we come before you this morning and we have worshipped you in song. We have worshipped you in a small expression of, of fellowship during our greeting time with one another. And now, Lord, we seek to worship you through the preaching of your word. Lord, this is an act of worship. I ask, Lord, that you would help us with all humility to receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to give attention to you as you seek to speak to us through your word. I pray, Lord, for those that are here who perhaps have yet to put their faith in Christ, that, Lord, you would have mercy upon them, that, Lord, you would help them to be able to hear your word. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see you. Grant faith this morning, Lord, to anyone who has yet to put their faith in Christ. And for those of us, Lord, who are in Christ, for those of us who are in the fellowship, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, there are some of us, Lord, come here this morning with burdens, with challenges, with hurts, with pains, with frustrations. Lord, we ask that for your name's sake, you would help us to put those things aside, to lay them at your altar, and to be able to hear you, Lord. We need a word from you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Milton began a series focusing on Cornerstone's purpose statement. We are on a journey from brokenness to wholeness through the gospel. We're on a journey from brokenness to wholeness through the gospel. And Milton introduced the five points of that journey, gospel conversion, gospel centrality, gospel community, gospel commission, and gospel completion. Milton then focused our attention and spent the, the bulk of the sermon on the first point of the journey, gospel conversion, and he gave to us uh, the Apostle Paul as the example of one who was powerfully converted. Through the power of the gospel, we who were dead are made alive. We are delivered from the domain of darkness, and we are brought into the light, into the kingdom of his beloved son. God takes out of us the heart of stone, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. We become new creatures in Christ, the Bible says. 
that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And we who are in Christ are sons of the Most High God. We are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfection is accounted to us. And God from on high looks down and sees us through the perfect righteousness of his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition, the Holy Spirit, right, when converted, when we are converted, the Spirit of Almighty God takes up residence in our hearts. God, the Spirit, indwells those who, through the gospel, are converted to Christ. Now think about that. The third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, indwells you if you, in fact, are in Christ. We who have repented of our sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation are born again. We are born from above. We are born of the Holy Spirit of God. We are spiritually alive. We are alive. As a result of this inner transformation through the power of the gospel, there is an observable outer transformation. And we have new desires and new disciplines. The Lord works in and through our lives, and we have love for God and love for our fellow man. The Bible teaches that he who is born of God, he loves the brethren. And this love flows from the very framework of our triune God. God is love, and out of the overflow of his love, he sent his beloved son to suffer in our stead and give himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And when, through the power of the gospel, we experience conversion and are sealed with the Spirit, there arises from within love for the brethren. We who are born of God, we, we love the brethren, we are brought into fellowship with one another, and out of the overflow of fellowship, God works in powerful ways. And we observe this in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 47. When Peter, you guys know the story, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stands before the large crowd and he uses the keys of the kingdom to unlock the door to the kingdom. He uses the gospel keys, if you will, to unlock the door into the kingdom of heaven. He proclaims the gospel, and on that day, some 3,000 lives were changed. Their lives were impacted in a number of ways. Consider the following ways in which their lives were changed. One, they were converted through the proclamation and power of the gospel. Two, they were committed to what we at Cornerstone call the four values in Acts 2.42, those being the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Three, they were captivated by the presence of God. The text says they kept feeling a sense of awe. And then fourth, they were conduits of God's powerful work. Converted, committed, Captivated conduits. 
I direct your attention this morning to the value of fellowship. We have seen fellowship in our passage within the larger context. The gospel is believed, fellowship is practiced, God's presence felt, and his powerful work displayed. Our message this morning is entitled Fellowship. We're going to focus our attention on the biblical doctrine of fellowship. And so I am calling our message, I am entitling the message, Fellowship. We will consider seven truths to direct us in our understanding and experience of biblical fellowship. Seven truths, I suppose there are more, but we're just going to cover seven this morning. The mere mention of this word should stir our souls. It should warm the heart. It should arouse our affections. It should flood our inner being with love for and feelings of joy regarding one another. We who are in Christ have fellowship with the triune God of the universe and with one another. My goal today is to begin with Acts 2.42 and then springboard into other passages to arrive at an understanding and appreciation of as well as a definition for biblical fellowship and then to consider ways in which we embrace and live out fellowship within our cornerstone fellowship Bible church context. This we will accomplish as we consider seven truths. And so let us begin with truth number one. Fellowship involves believers committed to gathering together. Fellowship involves believers who are committed to gathering together. Acts 2.42 tells us that they were, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this passage begins with a declaration that God's people were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. The Greek term is proskartereo, and it means to attend constantly. This is what happens out of the overflow of the gospel's work in our lives. We have this desire for fellowship. So it means to attend constantly. It can be translated hold fast to, continue in, or persevere in. Having experienced gospel conversion, these 3,000 believers displayed a transformation that was marked by continuous devotion, a strong and steady commitment. The passage goes on to say that the early church was committed to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And for our purpose, we are focusing on how God's people were continually devoting themselves to fellowship, fellowship. Clearly, fellowship was not an option, but that is not to say that fellowship was forced upon the people of God. Their commitment to fellowship flowed from the fountain of gospel transformation that they had and continued to experience. Acts 2.41 tells us that those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Those souls were transformed through the power of the gospel. Their hearts of stone became hearts of flesh. They became new creatures in Christ. As a result of their inner, inward transformation, their desires and deeds were redirected. Such redirection included the inward desire for fellowship. The text tells us they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. The Greek term for fellowship is koinonia, koinonia. As we work toward a greater understanding of this term, uh, consider its usage elsewhere. And this brings us to truth number two. Fellowship includes participation in the Lord's Supper. Fellowship includes participation in the Lord's Supper, in communion. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 16, where the Apostle Paul proclaims, listen to what Paul says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Koinonia in this verse is translated sharing and is associated with the Lord's Supper. When we share in the table of the Lord, we are experiencing koinonia. We are experiencing biblical fellowship. And so sharing in the Lord's Supper is a fellowship event. And in Acts 2.42, we observe the church committed to fellowship as well as the breaking of bread. While the two appear separate in the text, we must understand there is overlap. Biblical fellowship includes a sharing in the blood and body of Christ. Biblical fellowship includes partaking of the Lord's Supper. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are fellowshipping. And whether we celebrate the Lord's Supper in our big church service or in our care groups, we are engaging in biblical fellowship. Well, let us look to truth number three. Fellowship does not include non-believers. Fellowship does not include non-believers. The non-believer cannot participate in biblical fellowship. The non-believer is outside of this fellowship that we who are born of God enjoy. The non-believer is in the darkness. They are outside of this fellowship. And so it does not include non-believers. 2 Corinthians 6.14, in this verse, the Apostle Paul provides the following counsel to the Corinthians. Again, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Uh, listen to what Paul says. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. He's talking to the people of God, gives them command. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. And then he provides a reason. And here is the reason. It comes in the form of a question, a rhetorical question with uh, an implied answer. He says, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? The word translated partnership is metoke, and it speaks of a sharing or a partnership. 
Paul uses this term to underscore the fact that righteousness and lawlessness are not compatible. And then Paul enhances his point with a rhetorical question. What koinonia has light with darkness? What fellowship has light with darkness? And I quote Pastor John MacArthur regarding this passage where he says, Paul's point is that God's people are not to be bound together with unbelievers in any spiritual enterprise or relationship that would be detrimental to the Christian's testimony within the body of Christ. And so this passage reveals a limit to biblical koinonia. There can be no koinonia between light and darkness. Those without Christ are in the darkness and they cannot engage in biblical fellowship. There are activities and experiences that mark biblical fellowship that non-believers cannot enjoy unless they be converted to Christ. And it ought to be our heartfelt desire to see as many non-believers as possible coming to faith in Christ and to join us in the fellowship that we enjoy. This passage also underscores the danger of mixing righteousness and light with lawlessness and darkness. Fellowship cannot be mixed with evil. We who are in Christ cannot fellowship with the unsaved. We can't fellowship with the unsaved. We can and we must be friends with unsaved people. We must love the unsaved and we must seek to influence them for Christ. But we cannot experience biblical fellowship with those who are outside of Christ. Biblical fellowship is limited to those who are in Christ. There is a line of demarcation. There is a gulf between the two. Furthermore, those who are in Christ must Beware of being influenced by the ungodly. Again, what fellowship has light with darkness? The psalmist in Psalm 1 declares, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a, a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The psalmist warns of the influence of the wicked. The blessed man receives counsel that is rooted in the word of God. We must not allow those who reject the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and a decidedly Christian worldview to be our counselors. And they may teach a good math lesson, but they cannot counsel us in the things of God. We need God's word and we need the people of God giving to us the word of the living God, that is what we need for life and godliness for wisdom. The psalmist 
warns us of the influence of the wicked here. Young person, be careful. Young person, be careful of the company you keep. Be careful who you listen to. You are being bombarded through media and the world that surrounds you with wicked worldviews. You should choose as your best friends those with whom you can have biblical fellowship. And together with other believers, uh, you ought to be seeking to influence others for Christ. I think about by the grace of God, for example, when, when I first came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I was 21 years old. And God was so kind to me. He gave to me great brothers in Christ who encouraged me in my walk. And one of those brothers was Pastor Mike Berry. I wonder, where would I be without brothers in Christ like Pastor Mike Berry? Where would I be without such a koinonia, without such a fellowship. And so biblical fellowship is limited to believers. Let us consider another passage in which we discover the word koinonia, and this brings us to truth number four. Number four, fellowship is a spiritual activity that includes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is a spiritual activity that includes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, ends his letter with this benediction. Listen to what Paul says in his benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This passage links koinonia to the Holy Spirit. God's people enjoy fellowship with God and with one another through the Spirit of God, through the third person of the triune God. Koinonia, fellowship, is a spiritual activity which cannot be experienced apart from the Holy Spirit. And you should know that those in whom the Spirit dwells have repented of their sin and they have placed 100% of their trust in Christ alone for their salvation. When we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, who is in us. Thus, we experience the fellowship of the Spirit. This includes the idea that we have fellowship with the Spirit, and through the Spirit, we experience fellowship with one another. Again, biblical fellowship is linked to the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual enterprise. And you will also know this from the passage references to each of the persons of God. Let us not miss this. And there is a reference to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a reference to the love of God. And there is the reference to 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the triune God are mentioned here in this benediction. Again, a reference to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and such a fellowship flows from within the Trinity and is then brought to us by the Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit has both a vertical as well as a horizontal component. And there is a clear link between fellowship and the Holy Spirit. The two go together. They go hand in glove. They are inseparable. And we cannot have fellowship without God the Spirit. And if we have God the Spirit, we have fellowship. Let us consider another passage in Philippians 2.1. Philippians 2.1, uh, the Apostle Paul says, if, if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship, koinonia, of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Here, the word koinonia is translated fellowship, and it is linked once again to the Holy Spirit. God's people experience fellowship with God and one another through the Spirit. And so let us now turn to truth number five. Number five, fellowship is linked to the gospel. Fellowship is linked to the gospel. No gospel, no fellowship. No gospel, no koinonia. There is a direct link between koinonia and the gospel, fellowship and the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, listen, the Apostle Paul is bursting at the seams. He's bursting at the seams. He is exploding with thankfulness and joy as he thinks about the Philippians. And in Philippians 1.5, he declares the reason for his thankfulness and his joy. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, the Philippians were participants in the gospel, and this is why he is thankful and joyful. Uh, the word for participants is koinonia. This passage links koinonia, fellowship, to the gospel. The gospel is a necessary ingredient for koinonia fellowship to be experienced. Through the gospel, the Philippians had fellowship with God and with one another, and this was cause for Paul to be filled with thankfulness and joy. When you think about your brethren in Christ, when you think about their partnership in the gospel, when you think about what God has done in their lives, does your heart not fill with thankfulness and joy? One of the things that I love about counseling is that there are times, and recently this has happened, where I have, for example, a brother in Christ who comes to me and he's seeking counsel, and then I hear his testimony. And through tears, uh, we enjoy fellowship with one another as, we, as he recalls how God has worked in his life. And, and so often the testimony of a brother is a reminder to me of my own testimony. And, and, and we just celebrate the grace of God, the gospel of God, and how it is that God would see fit to save sinners like ourselves. It's unbelievable. It's incomprehensible. It's a wonder to us. And again, that's one of the things that I love about counseling is you get to hear the testimonies of people and enjoy fellowship together. 
it is critical that we never deviate from a decidedly gospel-centered approach to ministry. The gospel is the fuel for the fire of fellowship. If we want fellowship to be improved amongst us, it's going to come through the gospel. And Milton's going to cover that, I believe, next week when he focuses on gospel centrality. It's just going to be a good reminder to us of just the power of the gospel. And, and, and here we're learning today how the gospel is the fuel for the fire of fellowship amongst the people of God. And when we are fired up in our fellowship with God and with one another, we are a light that shines in this dark world. Fellowship is a distinctly Christian experience coming from the Spirit and linked directly to the gospel. When we have fellowship, there is a joy that the unsaved do not quite understand. They don't fully get it. Before coming to faith in Christ, um, I was befriended by a group of Christians from the college campus. As I got to know these believers, it dawned on me that, that they had something that I did not have. I remember thinking to myself that, that I needed and I wanted what they had. In due time, I realized what they had was a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had fellowship. They had koinonia. And the Lord graciously in time showed me that I needed what they had. And by the grace of God, I ended up coming to faith in Christ. A part of my testimony is, is observing the fellowship, the love of God, the love for God, and the love for one another that I was able to observe as an outsider looking in and seeing how the brethren behaved with one another. And I wanted what they had. And many of you who are in Christ relate to what I have just shared. You know the feeling of, of emptiness. You remember what it was like to be that outsider looking in. The Lord brought Christians into your life and, and it was clear that they had something that you needed. And that something was koinonia. It was biblical fellowship. And it was a fellowship that flowed from the gospel. The Lord used his people as you observed them to want what they had. And in time, the Lord used their testimony flowing from faith in Christ as a means to bring you to faith in Christ. And this takes us to truth number six. Number six. Fellowship flows from faith in Christ. And we see this in Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says to Philemon as he wants to bring to Philemon's attention um, the issue of his runaway slave, Onesimus. In chapter 1, verse 6 of Philemon, Paul says, uh, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. This passage links koinonia fellowship with faith. There's a link. The people of God experience fellowship through their faith in Christ. Faith is thus the fuel for fellowship, as I have said before. And there is no biblical fellowship apart from faith, apart from the faith. 
whenever a person places his faith in Christ, he is brought into fellowship with the Lord. And in Philemon 1.6, Paul expects his reader, he expects Philemon to embrace the fellowship of his runaway slave. Evidently, the slave ran away as a non-believer, comes to faith in Christ through the ministry of Paul, and now Paul is sending him back no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, and he is appealing to Onesimus to receive him as a brother, to receive him as one with whom he can now have fellowship, he can have koinonia. Paul tells Philemon, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Paul has in mind that Philemon would receive Onesimus, the runaway slave, as a brother in Christ. He appeals to Philemon in his letter to embrace fellowship with this runaway slave. The basis for this fellowship is faith. It is through faith in Christ that one has fellowship with God that extends into fellowship with other believers. Let us now consider truth number seven. Fellowship is tied to the Trinity. Fellowship is directly linked to the Trinity. For those of you who don't understand this term Trinity, it's a word that we use to describe who our God is. The Bible teaches clearly that there is one God, but that one God eternally exists in three persons. You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Interestingly enough, if you study the scripture, you find out that God the Father raised Christ from the dead. God the Son raised himself up from the dead. And God the Spirit raised him up from the dead. And God raised him from the dead. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You've got God raising Christ from the dead. It's because that one God eternally exists in three persons. And he was involved in the resurrection of his son bodily from the dead trying to help you to understand Trinity, one God eternally existing in three persons. Well, in 1 John 1, 3, listen to what John says. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen him. We have heard him. We've touched him. We've experienced him. God became man The word became flesh. We beheld his glory, the glory of of the only begotten father, the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so again, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And he says that, and this is the reason, that you also may have fellowship with us. And notice what he says about this fellowship. It is a fellowship with us. And then he says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In this passage, John links the gospel of Jesus Christ to fellowship. Paul desires his readers to experience fellowship. And he knows that such fellowship is not possible apart from the gospel. Furthermore, Paul describes the fellowship that he and his companions enjoy as a fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So understanding that fellowship originates within the triune Godhead and then overflows into and through those who are in Christ. Apart from God, there can be no biblical fellowship. When you think about it, uh, 
the Trinity is the foundation for fellowship. It is the basis for fellowship. There is a fellowship that has existed in eternity past in the persons of God as they have enjoyed relationship one with another all the way back to before time began in eternity past, a relational God, a fellowshipping God. And then John goes on to say in 1 John 1, 4, he says, and these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John's joy is rooted in the triune God of the universe and overflows into a desire for others to be brought into that same joy. This, in fact, is a source of joy for John. So he's experiencing the joy of God in his fellowship with God and in his fellowship with other believers. There is this joy that he feels, and then overflowing from that is the desire to see others coming to faith in Christ. And he says, we are writing this to you so that our joy might be made complete. How is our joy made complete? It is when people are in fellowship with the joyful God of this universe. I don't think that we fully understand the depths of joy that there is within the Trinity. I do not think, I know for me this is true, I do not fully understand, and God help me to understand the joy of God over me because in, in Christ I am redeemed. There is joy in heaven over a sinner who repents and comes to faith in Christ. There is joy inexpressible and full of glory. In his presence, there is fullness of joy at his right hand, uh, pleasures forevermore. I think we fail to comprehend that joy in him and the joy that he has brought us into and how overflowing we ought to have a joy, a joy inexpressible whenever a person comes to faith in Christ, and whenever we have fellowship with one another, those are moments upon which joy is founded. How exciting it is to be part of the family of God. What a joy it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ. What a wonder to think that God in his grace caused me to be born again, adopted me into his family, made me a son of God, and now I have brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will spend eternity forever in heaven as a family by the grace of God through the blood of Christ. If that's not enough to get you going, I'm sorry. Repent and believe. And pray, God, help me to reflect your image in my attitude, in my heart, in my desires, in my affections, Lord. Help me to be like you. Again, he says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Fellowship is directly tied to the Trinity. I want to sweep these passages together. I want to try to sweep these truths together. Um, so in bringing these truths together, we arrive at an understanding. Now listen, that biblical fellowship originates in and revolves around the triune God of the universe. Our God opens the door of fellowship to fallen man, that is you, that is me, 
He opens the door of fellowship to fallen man through the gospel. When fallen man, by faith, embraces the truth of the gospel, when fallen man repents of sin and believes in Christ alone for salvation, again, he embraces the gospel. He, by the Spirit, is brought into the experience of fellowship with Almighty God and fellowship with his fellow believers. It is. It's important to understand that such a fellowship brings the people of God into a oneness, positionally at least, God willing practically as well. But such a fellowship brings us as God's people into a oneness that ought to mark our lives in tangible ways. If you're in Christ, there is no doubt that you are different from what you would have been. God has made a difference. There is no question if you are in Christ. You are here. Most of you are here because you are in Christ and because you want to be with the people of God. We observe the tangible expressions of fellowship within the larger context of our Acts 2.42 passage. A careful observer will note the other values that the early church committed herself to, uh, that those values are linked to fellowship. Think about it. The apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, and prayer tie into fellowship. We fellowship with God through his word, by partaking of the Lord's table, and when we pray to God and together with one another praying to God. These are all aspects of our fellowship experience. Being continually devoted to these means of grace will have a powerful effect on our fellowship with other believers as well. And we see such an effect as we read on in the passage. Verse 43 of Acts 2. Acts 2, 43. It says, right on the other side of being saved through the power of the gospel, being committed to these values, not that they were forced to, they wanted to, they enjoyed to. And then downstream of that, it tells us in verse 43 that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, the very presence of God amongst them. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostle. God was at work in powerful ways accomplishing his purposes. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, and they were having favor towards all the people, grace towards all. All the people. And the Lord was adding. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The fellowship enjoyed by the early church was marked by the experience of God. They kept feeling a sense of awe. The experience of fellowship and feeling a sense of awe go hand in hand. We want the fellowship in our care groups, in our ministries here at Cornerstone, to be marked by the experience of God's presence. We want to cultivate an awareness of the presence of God amongst us. Apart from God, there is no biblical fellowship. 
The fellowship enjoyed by the early church was marked by a willingness to meet the needs of fellow believers. Again, the text says, all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Folks were willing to make personal sacrifices to help other believers. They even sold their possessions to, to minister to the needs of others. Their fellowship was also marked by continual hospitality. The believers opened their homes to the brethren, and they enjoyed meals together. And they were eager to be in the, the immediate presence of their fellow saints, and they seized upon such times to eat together and to praise God together. They just loved to open their homes to one another. And we also see that the overflow of fellowship resulted in favor with the unsaved. Folks were being saved. As we work toward an understanding of biblical fellowship, the following quotes help give shape to our thinking. One Christian leader describes fellowship this way, participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Fellowship is sharing something in common on the deepest level of human relationship, our experience of God himself. He is the very source of our fellowship. J.I. Packer offers this description. Fellowship is sharing with our fellow believers the things that God has made known to us about himself in hope that we may thus help them to know him better and so enrich their fellowship with him. It is a seeking to share what God has made known of himself to others as a means of finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for one's soul. Jerry Bridges, listen to what he says in connection to fellowship. Those first Christians of Acts 2 were not devoting themselves to social activities, but to relationship. A relationship that consisted of sharing together the very life of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit they understood that they had entered this relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, not by joining an organization. And they realized that their fellowship with God logically brought them into fellowship with one another. Through their union with Christ, they were formed into a spiritual, organic community. We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ, along with all of the privileges and responsibilities that such a relationship entails. Here at Cornerstone, we desire to follow the example of the early church. Our desire is to replicate their experience of fellowship. And this is why we multiply our congregation into smaller groups that we call care groups. Every care group is to be a place where biblical fellowship is fostered. The question then to be addressed is this. What are some ways in which we can foster fellowship within the care group ministry? Again, the question 
We're going to spend a bit of time answering this question with the remainder of the message. What are some ways in which we can foster fellowship within the care group ministry? These are just some thoughts. These are some ideas. One, we foster fellowship within care groups by a strong commitment to the values of Acts 2.42. That is why every care group is to practice those four values that are given to us in 2.42. And amongst those values, of course, it is fellowship. Our commitment to the apostles' teaching will serve to shape our fellowship because Scripture has much to say regarding our relationships with each other. Our commitment to the Lord's table serves as a fellowship with the Lord as well as one another. The Lord's table serves as a reminder that Christ bled his blood to bring us into fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And so when partaking of the elements, we must examine ourselves in order to partake in a way that is honoring to the Lord. We must seek out forgiveness from those we have sinned against in order to partake in a way that honors the Lord. And we must forgive those who have sinned against us if we are to partake in a way that honors Christ. The Lord's table should impact our relationships with one another. A proper commitment to the Lord's table then facilitates fellowship. Our commitment to pray should facilitate fellowship. When we pray, we fellowship with the Lord, but we also fellowship with one another as we pray for one another and as we bear one another's burdens and as we get to know what are those things that we need to be praying for for our brethren in our care groups, for example. And as we pray for them, fellowship is fostered. We facilitate fellowship when we take to heart the prayer request being shared in our care group. Uh, we facilitate fellowship when we include children in our times of prayer, calling upon the children to share their own requests and to pray for others in the group. The Lord loves to hear the prayers of the little ones. And we ought to make a big deal about the contribution that they can make as we gather together in our care groups. And we facilitate fellowship when we make use of technology to share our prayer requests with one another throughout the week. So again, we're answering the question, what are some ways in which we can foster fellowship within the care group ministry? Uh, number one, um, a strong commitment to the values. Number two, we foster fellowship within care groups through strong stewardship of our resources. And this is exactly what the early church did so well. Uh, we are to be, we are wise if we follow their example. I love to hear the stories of how folks in a care group rallied to meet the needs of others. I also appreciate how when folks catch word of a particular need, uh, they go to the agape team to present the need. And thousands of dollars out of the overflow of the agape fund has been given to people to help them in their times of need. This is fellowship, brothers and sisters. Folks in our fellowship have been helped out in, in significant ways through their care groups as well as the Agape Fund, a fund, by the way, which is funded by you guys. Three, we foster fellowship within our care group when we open our homes and hearts to others throughout the week. Four, we foster fellowship within our care groups as we respond promptly to the needs that arise. There are times when folks need counsel 
and I am unable to tally up the number of times our care group leaders have stepped up to provide counsel for folks and for families in need. We have had folks homebound with COVID over the past year and a half, and care groups have responded by providing many meals. Folks in our body have lost loved ones, and care groups have responded with outpourings of love. I wonder, I wonder what needs will arise over this next ministry year and the ways in which the care groups of Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church will respond in meeting such needs. Fifth, we foster fellowship within our care groups when we plan special events where we can enjoy one another's company and get to better know one another in different settings. I want you to understand, guys, getting together isn't necessarily a fellowship event. I can go to a ball game with the boys, but they may, that may not be fellowship, or it could be, depending on if whether or not as we go to the ball game, we end up talking about the things of the Lord and encouraging and blessing one another in the things of the Lord that we have in common with each other. We can go to a ball game and we can fellowship. We can kill two birds with one stone in that sense. Again, we foster fellowship when we plan special events. I recall one Christmas when a brother in my own care group uh, purchased tickets for everyone to attend a Christmas play at the Lighthouse Theater. We learned the stories behind many of the most loved Christmas hymns that was a wonderful time of fellowship. Care groups, I encourage you to be creative as you come up with ways to foster fellowship and enjoy one another's company. Sixth, we foster fellowship within and through our care groups, our small groups, when we encourage participation in the life of the larger church. Care groups are a very important part of the body life of Cornerstone but they are not the be-all and end-all of ministry. Within our respective care groups, we should encourage one another to participate in the larger life of Cornerstone. We should encourage folks with what we call the third touch. The first touch is the Sunday service. The second touch uh, includes participation in a care group. The third touch includes active involvement in any of the other enrichment ministries. Men's ministry includes man form and Bible study. Our women have women's Bible studies as well as special events every year. We have adult equipping school as well as Sunday school for all ages. We have a college and career ministry as well as high school and youth ministries. We have the Awana ministry. If you participate in each of these three touches, and on the third touch you get to choose one of your choice, you should have no trouble being ministered to, and finding ways to connect with others here at Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church. Get involved and give it some time, and you will find yourself developing friendships, experiencing fellowship that will serve as a blessing to your life into eternity future. And let us not forget the fourth touch of outreach. We encourage our care groups to encourage the fourth touch. 
what that means is that we should always be encouraging each other to reach out to the folks in our spheres of influence. Out of the overflow of the fellowship we have with our triune God, as well as each other, we should desire for the unsaved to be brought into this fellowship that we enjoy. Thus, we should seek to share Christ with our friends and family. We should seek to share Christ with our co-workers and neighbors. We should always be on the lookout for sharing Christ with the lost. And so I encourage you to think of ways in which you can encourage biblical fellowship in and through and in connection to your care group. In response to the question, one of our elders texted the following to me. Again, the question, what are some ways in which we can foster fellowship within the care group ministry? This is what one care group leader said, and I quote, we share meals together at every care group meeting. We serve meals when others are in crisis. We help out with simple car repairs. We do one-on-one -on -one lunch in the middle of the week. We do one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We care for those that are no longer in our care group and have moved away. We have occasional game nights, and we reach out to folks who are not engaged in a care group. This is but one of many examples of how God is using Cornerstone's care group ministry to foster the value of biblical fellowship. May the Lord bless the fellowship of Cornerstone as we journey together from brokenness to wholeness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are not connected to a care group, I encourage you to do so today. You can sign up at the table, um, either in that corner or in the corner back through the double doors, the double, double doors, and to the very back, there are places where you can sign up for a care group. You can get your questions about care groups answered. And so if you're not connected, do so today. But more importantly, you are here today, and you know nothing of biblical fellowship because you have yet to repent of your sin and believe in Christ alone for your salvation. May I ask, what prevents you from surrendering your life to Christ? What is holding you back? Are you afraid? The Bible teaches that the love of Christ casts out all fear. If you come to Christ, he will receive you, and he will take it upon himself to transform you. Is there sin in your life that you think makes you unqualified to come to Christ? The Bible teaches that your sin is the very thing that qualifies you to come to Christ for forgiveness. Remember that Christ said, I did not come for the righteous, but the unrighteous. I did not come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ opens the door wide and he says, come. Come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest and you will find rest for your soul. 
the Lord declares in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. This is an invitation to fellowship with Christ. The Lord invites you to open the door and in faith step to him. You will experience fellowship with the Lord and you will be brought into fellowship with the people of God, you will become my brother or my sister in Christ. And so I urge you, please, do not delay. If you have yet to put your faith in Christ, do so now. Believe in him. He died on the cross for you. He was raised up from the dead. He ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he lives to make intercession for all those who believe in him. If you have yet to believe in Christ, believe in him now. By the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, become a part of the family of God. You will never regret that decision. You will never regret that decision. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, fellowship is a gift. In fellowship, we get to enjoy you and one another. We are thankful, Lord, that you have made fellowship possible through your own sacrifice on the cross where, Because you wanted fellowship with us, you gave your life as an atoning sacrifice. You bled your blood. You took upon yourself the punishment that we deserved so that we could be brought into fellowship with Almighty God. Jesus, through you, through faith in you, through the gospel, we are able to enter into relationship with you. We are able to have fellowship with you. And, and as a result, Lord, we are in relationship with each other. We are in fellowship with each other. We enjoy koinonia, Lord. And Lord, we pray that at, uh, out of the overflow of this fellowship, Lord, that there would be those who don't know you who would come to faith in Christ through our witness Through our testimony, Lord, let us grow in our love for you and for one another. Let us grow in fellowship. Lord, let this care group ministry year be a blessing to all of us. Bless us. Work in us. Work through us. Knit us together in love and affection, one for another, Lord, that your image and our lives would be reflected, that you would be glorified, Lord, and that, Lord, we would be salt and light in this dark and tasteless world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.